morning. I hope you all had a, those of you that had a back to school week had a good one. But you know, it affects all of us because at 8.30 in the morning or 8.15 in the morning, all the traffic patterns, at least in this town, change and on the 101 change. So I hope you all had a good back to school week. Um, great to be here together this morning. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us. Just feel something great in the atmosphere today of God's presence. And I'm excited for this morning's message. I've um, had this theme in my heart, and Rachel, she spent some time last week talking about the importance of sowing seed. I have a kind of a related message um, to that today, but we learned last week the future is in the seed. If you just walk around with a seed in your backpack or in your purse talking about this incredible, awesome seed that you have somewhere that you're carrying around, that seed might, it has incredible potential, but nothing's going to happen until that seed gets sown. Amen. We have to be aware of the seasons that we're in. The harvest, um, you know, the, the, the future is in that seed and we can't wait for the, the perfect conditions or we won't eventually have a harvest. We have to sow and we were called to sow in love. And uh, it doesn't, again, it, it doesn't matter how imperfect the conditions are sometimes. I mean, when we're looking at, you know, the wind or this or that or the other, sometimes we just have to, we have to go all in. But today my message is going to be actually about the conditions. It's a little bit different because last week we're talking about the seed that we sow. This week we're going to talk about the seed that God sows in us. And that's a little bit of a different take. But as we journey into this today, I, I want to make this comment to get us thinking Sometimes we expect God's kingdom to move at the speed of technology. But God's kingdom often moves at the speed of agriculture. And that's a different rhythm. Come on, somebody. Like I know we can Instagram something and boom, boom, on the internet, everyone can like it. Wow. I mean, remember the old days when you had to like take a picture and then go and get the film developed at Rite Aid? And it took like three days. And then you don't even know what was on the roll. Do you remember the days before that when they didn't have cameras and they had to paint? Anybody remember those days? No one remembers those days. Okay. So we need, and by the way, God is the God of suddenly. And he is the God of now. There are moments, incredible moments, where God just chooses to do something in an instant. However, he's also a God of process. He loves the journey. He's a God of relationship, and he wants to be on that journey with us. There's things that you get on the journey with God that you couldn't get any other way. He didn't just take them and rush them to the promised land out of Egypt and say, here you are, dropping you off, have fun. He wanted to bring them into covenant, into fellowship, into relationship in that wilderness season so that they would go into that promised land, bonded together, a covenant people moving ahead uh, at, with, you know, they are the people of God. And it's like the, the father and his children, and they're together and they're bonded. And he's a, he's a God of relationships. So sometimes we want things in an instant that God has intended to be a process. And we need to understand seasons. God is a God. He is a God of seasons. He really is. And there is a season to plow, and there is a season to sow, and there's a season to water, and there's a season to reap. And it's also good to remember this everything in the kingdom starts small. 
When God wants to bring a blessing in your life, sometimes we're all like, like, Lord, overwhelm me with a blessing. Sometimes he just hands you a seed. Here you go. This is going to be amazing. And he speaks a word into our life, and that word is a seed, and it, it takes time to develop. And sometimes if we don't understand the process of God, we can get a little bit disillusioned or frustrated or wonder, he promises, where is it? Well, it's, it's, it's in seed form. It's going to take time to come to a harvest. So there's a lot of things in God's kingdom like that. But, you know, when that seed comes to maturity, it's just amazing. Um, we have this, this apple tree at my house. It's on, it's kind of, there's a picture there on your notes today. It didn't come out very well. It's, it's hard, to, hard to see in this picture. Uh, this tree was, we have three trees now. We used to have four. Uh, one got beetles, and uh, didn't, it, we had to take it down. But these trees were all planted at our house when we moved in in 2003. And um, over time, I've learned to take care of them uh, and water them correctly and prune them correctly and all of that. But here's the thing about these trees. Um, at one point, they were just a seed. This tree right here was just a seed. There was Nothing there, no fruit, no nothing, just a seed in the ground, something that probably would hardly even register on a scale. Now, that tree and my, our other two trees together each year sometimes give us over 1,000 pounds of apples. We have harvested, literally, since we've lived in our home, tons, tons of apples off of three trees. It all came out of a little seed. And I, there's things in our lives that God starts as a seed. And if we are patient and we are willing to endure and go through the seasons with him, become so fruitful year after year of our lives. I believe there's things like this that God has called us to sow in this generation that we get to experience, but they're there long after we're gone because God has used us to release something eternal of his kingdom in our world and other people get to enjoy the fruit of what we've sown. Like we're thinking beyond ourselves. I'm grateful for whoever planted those trees way back when because we're, we're reaping the benefits of that today. And we just need to understand there's a process in God's kingdom. So this week is all about the seeds that are sown in us. So Lord, I pray today that our hearts would just be awake to your presence, awake to heaven, awake to your word. Lord, that we would be so encouraged today. Each one of us would would be uh, equipped. We would be drawn near to you. We would, Lord, we would be impacted today and we would be taught from your word. Lord, our hearts would be instructed in your ways today. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God has purposed for each one of us to be incredibly, immeasurably fruitful. He's ordained you and me that we would bear much fruit and that that fruit would remain. There's no uh, person that God said, you know, you're going to be fruitful, but I really have purpose for you to kind of wither and just kind of be diseased and broken and messed up. That's never God's will. He's purposed for each one of us to be very fruitful. So Today I want to look at what's traditionally called the parable of the sower, but I want to call it the parable of the soil. And it's all about four kinds of ground, each representing a different heart condition. And this can be found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. I'm going to primarily be in Mark 4, but I'll touch on Luke 8 as well. And in this 
parable, there's four types of soil. And by the way, Jesus is teaching them in this parable about the kingdom. Everyone say the kingdom. kingdom. How God's kingdom works, how it operates, how, it, how we experience it, how we, how we find his kingdom in our lives and how we grow in the life of the kingdom. He's giving them keys for that. So we see four kinds of ground or soil in this parable, but only one kind of seed. We see the same seed with different results, all because of the condition of the soil. The problem is never with the seed. The results are based on the condition of the soil. And this morning, the Lord wants to help us do a little soil analysis, you know, like like see what's going on in the soil of our hearts, okay? And it's all grace, guys. Um, at some point, in your, no one is born with good soil. Like you just have the best soil and you're born with the best soil. We all have some work to do to get the soil, like the pH balance in the soil of our heart right, get the rocks out, get the weeds out, get that, that ground broken up. We all have work to do in the soil of our hearts. So I want you to be encouraged with that today. Don't, don't be like, oh man, I, I guess that's the kind I am and there's nothing I can do to change it. That's not what this story is about. The story is not about you are, you are labeled a certain kind of soil and you'll never change it. No, no, no. This story is about, this parable in it has the potential for every one of us to be thriving and have the right kind of soil in our hearts. Can you say amen? All right. So uh, we're doing a little soil analysis, and we're going to see in this parable that the Word of God is the seed. The Word of God is the seed, and the heart, the heart of man or the heart of a person, is the soil. And it's tender, prepared soil that receives the Word deeply, and then that seed grows to maturity, and it brings the fruitfulness that God intended for us to have. And... Uh, what we're seeing with this is that God has made me a steward and he's made you a steward of the soil of your heart. Proverbs 4.23 is an important verse about this. I have shared this many times in different messages in the school of ministry. But Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with diligence for out of it springs the issues of of life. That means to keep it like a vineyard. What's growing? What's developing? Is there something that shouldn't be there? Get that out. But what we see in Proverbs 4.23 is that I am the steward of my heart. I think it was Nelson Mandela said, I am the captain, or at least he quoted, I'm the captain of my soul. Like, I, I'm in charge of me. There's something the Bible calls self-control, right? That means you get to control you. That means you are a gatekeeper of your soul, of your life. You have authority over what comes in and what goes out, ultimately. You have authority uh, to, to steward your heart and to do it in a good way. You're a powerful person. You have a choice. You're not a, just a victim of things that have happened to you, and you are the way you are, and you can never change it. No, no, no. You have a choice in the matter. You are a steward over your soul. Can you say amen? amen. Now, we're not talking about that being separate from God and you're we, just all under the lordship of Jesus. That's, that's a given for this, okay? But we're to do this with diligence. Another translation, above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are. Our affections affect us. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. For from there flows the wellspring of life. So fruitful people do things that 
unfruitful people don't do. They do what's necessary to keep the soil of their heart in a good condition. I want to be in the fruitful people camp. Not that there's a division, but you know what I mean? Like if, I, if you had a ch- have a choice between being unfruitful and fruitful, what do you want to pick? Fruitful, yes, please. And then here's the thing. We do have a choice. Tell somebody, you have a choice. I have a choice. Let's choose fruitfulness. Okay. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And again he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. So that was kind of his pulpit. He was teaching with a multitude on land, his voice kind of echoing off the water. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. You know the kind of sowing we're talking about, okay? Don't picture somebody going out there with their sewing machine and they're making all kinds of, they're sowing seed. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, not much soil there. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Notice that it went through three phases. It sprang up, increased, and produced. The second stage, it kind of increased and grew and then withered. The first stage, it never even never even sprang up at all. So you've got these different stages. It went through all of those and it got to a point where it produced some 30, some 60, some 100 fold of uh, what was there. That was the yield of, what, of the original seed. Verse 9, and he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Skip down to verse 13. Now he's speaking to his disciples. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. So they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. It's an interesting connection there in verse 16. Immediately they receive it. But when the offense comes, verse 17, immediately they stumble. Verse 18. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word. What an interesting phrase. They choke the word. Like there's a word that God has planted in my life that can get choked? Wow. Because of the soil? Yeah, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, so they receive it and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. So the picture here is that of a farmer scattering seed across his field. And all, 
four different types of soil or ground or ground are kind of found within that field. That's the picture that's here. There's maybe a trampled footpath. That's the wayside. Maybe a couple of stony sections. Some sections with weeds and thorns. Does anybody have um, stuff growing in their yard they don't want growing in their yard? Anybody? Anybody have uh, blackberries in their yard? Like, I love blackberries, honestly, but it just grows everywhere, and you can't, it's like unstoppable. It's amazing. I don't know if it's the weather, the soil, what it is. Blackberries are amazing here. Anybody have poison oak growing in the yard? I've got poison oak growing in my yard. I'm like, I didn't plant it. I'm not trying to have it there. It just grows there. And I find out, we find out the hard way with that sometimes, like, you know, like we're out doing something with flip-flops on, and then a couple days later, you're like, what are these spots on my feet? Where did I get that poison oak? I've had some really bad episodes of it. I don't need to get into details with that right now and show you any pictures or anything. It would just be scary. So, you know, in crabgrass, whatever it is, we have these things growing that we don't want to grow there. And uh, there's just some sections in a, in a field that, that can be like that. And then, of course, this farmer's field has sections of well-plowed, beautiful soil. So here's the, the four types of ground with four different results, all right? So there's the, the surface. That's the wayside, the trampled footpath, the hard ground. And what happens there is the seed just stays on top. It doesn't even get down into the soil. People are walking on it, and birds just come and eat that seed and run away with it, all right? Um, there's the shallow ground. That's the stony ground. Okay, that's where the seed began to grow. But it only began to grow because it was just barely covered by soil. And it popped out right away and it germinated quickly into a seedling. But there were no roots. And as soon as a, a, a warm day came, it's gone. It's over. It's lack of moisture. Then there's the crowded soil. The soil's deep enough but there's just a lot of other things growing in it as well. A lot of other seeds. Everything is growing together. Everything looks okay for a time. Until the thorns choke the life out of the plant. Blocking the light, blocking photosynthesis, blocking the nutrients, taking the moisture, whatever it is. Just crowding it out and blocking it out. And in this case, it, whereas in the, in the former one, it wilts and withers. This one, the plant will still be there, but it won't have any fruit. And you know, I, I really think that the enemy is content with all three. Either stealing the seed, making the seed wither and die, or crowding it out so it can be like, wow, it's really green and it's nice and it's tall, but there's no fruit. Some of you gardeners um, understand how frustrating it can be to plant tomatoes or plant something, and you get this all this foliage and all this greenery, it's like, wow, this is going to be amazing, but the fruit doesn't come because some pH was off in your soil or something like that. And it's, it's pretty frustrating. That's what will happen. It says it'll be choked out. So it'll, be, it'll exist, but it will be fruitless. And then, of course, there's the fertile ground. And that's just the organic ground with lots of compost. It's well-plowed, soft ground. It receives the seed. It leads to a fruitful harvest that is... A 30, 60, 100 fold times greater. And uh, I think, obviously, that's, that's where, where we want to be. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. This year, I had just random stuff growing in my compost pile. The stuff I planted in my garden beds, I planted tomatoes and onions and cabbage and some other things. And 
it's all good. And I, my kids are like, oh, you did? Yeah, you don't even know because you haven't even seen it grow. You've seen like 10 tomatoes and that's it. It's sad. <laughs> but in my compost pile, like all of this crazy squashes and pumpkins, like these huge plants that are growing out of it. I'm like, I don't know what those are, but I'm just going to start watering that. <laughs> and like the best thing that grew at my house this year was what volunteered out of the compost pile. And sometimes, wow, you know, volunteers, they can, they can be some of the best things you, you, you ever find. So that'll, that'll preach one of, okay, anyway. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just this interesting thing about when you have a lot of good compost there, there's some seeds in there, wow, stuff is really going to grow. Now, let me take you to a few points this morning. Number one, God is responsible for his own word. My job is to treasure God's word. The seed is the word. I want you to know this morning that God will watch over his word to perform it, to fulfill it. He will give the increase for it. His word will not return void. I'll read that verse in a moment. His word has his energy in it, his power in it. It will bring about the fruitfulness that he intended. There is no word from God without power. His word is amazing. And so the seed is the word. And here's the thing. We really need... We really, really, really need God's word in our lives. If there's nothing else you hear me say today, I want you to just come back to a place where you realize how precious and valuable and the, just the incredible treasure that God's word is to us. I'm talking about, when I talk about God's word today, I, I, that could include preaching and teaching. It could include other uh, forms of the word. But I'm talking about just being a lover of the Bible, spending time in scripture, treasuring his word, memorizing verses that, that really jump out at you, being a person that loves the word of God. Like, and having a love for the Bible, valuing God's word, that's my job. He's going to watch over his word, but my job, I need to first of all treasure his word. Look at Job 23. I love the book of Job in these particular verses. Verse 10, he says, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. Here's the part I want you to really grab a hold of today. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I've treasured the words of his mouth. I've treasured his word more than my necessary food, more than my daily bread. Lord, I, I want your word in my life. That's a treasure. That's treasuring the word. That's valuing the word. Of his word, it says in Isaiah 55, 11, my word, uh, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I'm so grateful that in ninth grade, I went to, I went to Marine Christian Academy, had a ninth grade back then, and my Bible teacher had us memorize chapters of the Bible. We had to memorize John chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass, tinkling symbol. I, 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 could quote, I could quote it to you now. This is, this is 30 years ago. Um, there's other, other chapters that, that we got into, and we remember Romans chapter 12. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It's the King James. So um, so if you're like, I've never heard that before. That's because you're reading the NLT. It's fine. (laughs) Whatever you memorize, it's fine. But I'm grateful because there's times in my life when I memorized those scriptures, and there was a time where it was just sort of routine, and we were doing it, and it was part of Bible class, and it was a discipline. But I can't tell you the number of times the Lord has gone into the well of those verses in my memory and spoken something to me right now out of what his written word that was committed to my heart had said. Like whole, treasuring that word on the inside. And it's just so important that we treasure God's word in our lives. So we see that number one, God is responsible for his word. But number two, I am responsible for my heart. I'm responsible for the soil of my heart. And by God's grace, I can steward my heart well. Do you know it's technically not true when you tell somebody, you're making me so mad. You're making me do this. You're making me act this way. You're making me... I know what you mean. I know what I mean when I say those kinds of things too. And I've, trust me, I say them. I'm not perfect in this. But technically, it's not true. You are the steward of your own heart. Nobody can make you do anything. Well, they just push my buttons. Well, deal with the buttons. <laughs> that button doesn't have to be there. Do you realize that when people are able to make you do things all the time, you're living under the control of everybody else's behavior all the time? But President Trump makes me so mad, and I see his Twitter, and I see the news, and just, ah, it just makes me crazy. Well, just, like, don't watch it until you can deal with the buttons so you don't live in anxiety anymore. You shouldn't live in anxiety. It's not good for you. I don't know if you have that reaction to the news, but <clears throat> I, heard a few, I heard a few people are these days, so just thought I'd throw it out there. I'm responsible for the soil of my heart. Now, I want to reiterate that when Jesus is speaking of the dirt, the ground, the soil, the earth, he's, he's speaking about us. Remember what God made Adam out of? The dust, the clay. He breathed into Adam. Adam became a living soul. There's a picture here of that seed going into the ground of God's word going into us. It's a picture, a parable about the supernatural word of God being received with humility, growing to maturity, and transforming us from barrenness to fruitfulness, from a dry desert, from an empty wilderness into the Garden of Eden. That's what's pictured here. That's the power of God's spoken word. The one that spoke and informed the world speaks into our lives with a seed. And that seed, as it matures, transforms us and brings this incredible fruitfulness in our lives. So the ability, again, is in the word, not the soil. But the soil creates the condition, the environment, the atmosphere for that word to grow. So our job is humility. Our job is to receive. Our job is to cultivate the right kind of soil and conditions in our lives. So that question of of how's your soil, we need to look at these a little bit deeper into these kinds of soil this morning. That's what we're going to do next. The, the, The soil explained because Jesus, 
he went on to explain it personally to the disciples. And I want you to know that you can do what these disciples did any time with Jesus. You come across a portion of scripture, you can take that before the Lord and say, I don't fully understand this. Can you help me? You can come to somebody else that's a spiritual mom or dad or brother or sister and say, hey, walk me through this. We have access to the Lord through his, directly through the Holy Spirit, through his body to really get answers and to grow and not just kind of stay mystified all the time. So I encourage you uh, to, to take that step of talking to the Lord when something it just doesn't make sense, but you know there's just something in it. So he's explaining the soil types to the disciples. And the first thing he says, the first one is, again, the wayside, that trampled footpath, that hard ground. And what he's basically showing here is that the word never brings influence in that person's life, except for one happy moment where it's like, yay, the seed is sown. And then the next thing you know, it's trampled on and some birds are eating it and they're, and they're flying away with it. But I want to highlight this word trampled underfoot because it means this. It means to be tre- treated with rudeness and insults. And that could be a person that hears the word and just rejects it. Or it could be a person that allows the opinions of others to trample underfoot and devalue God's word and their relationship with God. They allow the opinions of others to have a vote in whether they are going to be followers of Jesus or not. And I want to tell you right now, emphatically, nobody gets to have that vote in your life. And if you allow them to have that vote in your life, the you know, what do what does an unbel- what does an uninitiated person know about I mean, what does somebody who's never tasted chicken tikka masala know about chicken tikka masala? Nothing. They're missing out on one of the wonders of the world, to be honest. (laughs) What is a person that hasn't yet experienced the love of God, the power of His presence, and His Word, and His goodness... Why, why are you giving them a vote as to whether or not you should receive God's word in your life? Why are you allowing them to devalue and trample underfoot the goodness of God? I'm not saying that you, that, um, you need to get into arguments with people and, and like defend yourself all the time. A person with an experience with God is not at the mercy of somebody with an opinion. You're just not. You're not at their mercy. So I just think that's important for somebody to hear this morning. I don't know who needed to hear that, but... Like, don't allow that word to be trampled underfoot. Of course, we need to have, not just have the word be on the surface, right? That ground of a heart needs to be broken. That word needs to get inside. Now, it says here that Satan comes and steals that word away before that person can even get saved. Satan's afraid of the transforming power and authority of God's word in a person's life. and He'll do whatever he can to steal it. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy nothing else. The second thing we see here... Second soil type explained is that shallow soil, that stony soil that was received with gladness and it endured for a time. I actually see this as a person that kind of seems to have their act together on the outside. Um, And all of us can be this way in certain times of our life. They kind of have everything put together. They're like well put together and like they receive the seed with joy. Yeah, good word, pastor. Good word, sister. That was amazing. God is so good. But there's unresolved issues right under the surface of their heart. And when that seed goes to get planted in their heart, it bounces right off that unresolved issue. Can't take root. Springs up a little bit and then just dies. As soon as there's problems, as soon as there's trials, 
They're offended and they're out. Here's the amazing thing. I can think of people in my life right now, right now, that I grew up in the Lord with or right now that I went to Bible college with or taught in Bible college even, right now. And I've sat down with them 10 years later and they're asking me questions about the Bible and I, I, that are ridiculous from, honestly, from what they received in Bible college. Questions that are so basic that it's, it's, it's unbelievable that they're asking me. And I'm saying, you can't be serious. You know better than that. Why are you asking me about this issue? And you, I didn't want to give an example because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus right now. But why are you asking me about this? And they're like, I really don't know. It's like the enemy has come and stolen that truth out of their mind. They're literally living under a fog of deception. And it just breaks your heart. It breaks your heart to realize that that person was at one point so on fire and so in love with the Lord and so uh, valuing his word. But there was an unresolved issue in their life that they decided to hold on to and let grow. And it became a stony place in their heart. Now, let me tell you this. He talks about persecution and tribulation arising in our heart, uh, in our, around our lives and how our hearts respond to that with offense. There's another way to respond to tribulation and persecution. There is an opportunity every time we face trials like that to let our dependency on the Lord grow and our humility grow. Rather than a situation causing us just to question God and question our faith and walk away and like, why is this happening to me? And just, "Mm, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And just kind of have that attitude. I have a choice to enter into humility and trust in that place, to be grateful and to be anchored in God's goodness. And what actually happens in that moment is those trials that I was facing, they have a positive effect. God causes them. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. It's the will of God. What starts to happen is that thing that was intended for hardship in my life, it gets reworked by the Spirit of God, becomes something good in my life where my heart gets softer, my soil gets reconditioned to be the kind of soil it's supposed to be because in that moment that I could have gotten offended, I chose to trust. I chose to be humble. I chose gratitude. We need to see those moments, those, those things that come up in our lives as an invitation to greater trust and, dependent, and dependency on the Lord. Third, there's crowded ground, the thorny soil. It's like just congestion. There's no room for the word. The word choke means to suffocate, to crowd out. And again, I just don't know why it is, but it's like the stuff you want to grow grows slowly and the stuff you don't want to grow grows really fast. And you don't always know what's underneath the soil until it gets some water and some sunlight. But I do know this. This is one thing I am sure of. Weeds are easier to pull out when they're small. (laughs) I do know that. Issues are easier to deal with when they're small. Now, friends, this this is a discipleship message today. This is a walking with Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus message today, okay? Um... These are things, these are skills we need to, to grow in in our lives where we, we start to see these weeds, these thorns coming up, and we address them right then and right there. We say, okay, that's got to come out. Here's why. You and I, through our thoughts and attitudes and appetites, 
we can give those things permission in our lives to the extent that they choke out God's promises. That's an amazing statement that Jesus made. That through our thoughts, through our mindsets, through our attitudes, we have the ability to allow God's promise in our lives to be choked. Here he gave three different things that could, that could do that. He talked about the cares of this world. And that word for cares is it's anxieties. The root of it is a divided mind. I think Kaya was just praying this or somebody was praying this a moment ago. Casting all of our cares upon him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares, all your anxieties, your worries, your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. We're to take our anxiety. A heart that has anxiety in it, that anxiety, that worry can have the effect of choking out the word in our lives. So obviously we don't want to live with anxiety anyway. I do think it's possible to get addicted to drama and the attention that drama brings in our lives. But the result is living with anxiety, which is a bummer. And will choke out fruitfulness. And so I don't know if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that kind of has a drama addiction. You probably don't. It's somebody that you know and not you. <laughs> but it's not worth it. It really isn't. The, the, the drama's not worth it. We need to, we need to become a drama-free people in, in terms of just um, giving our anxieties to the Lord. It also means a divided heart. The Bible tells us in several places that we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. Like if I love him with all, I'm not going to have anything left. No, no, it's, it's this great and amazing mystery that when we love him with all of our heart, we actually bring our best into our other relationships as well because he's first. There's not a di- division of heart. The next thing it talks about is that Jesus said the deceitfulness of riches can be one of those thorns that chokes the word. I heard Bill Johnson talking about deceitfulness of riches. By the way, it doesn't say riches will choke the word. It doesn't say if you're rich, the word will be choked and you will be not have fruit. It says the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches is that I don't need anybody anymore. I don't need God in this. I, I don't, it takes away that place of humility. And what uh, Pastor Bill was saying about this is, you know, how much is too much money? It's however much it takes to not trust God anymore. For some people, if you had a thousand extra dollars, you wouldn't need to trust God anymore. Or ten thousand. Yeah, a little buffer. For another person, it, it, it honestly might be $10 million like, or, or, or a, a billion. Like their, their level of, they're, they're just not that attached to money in the same way. But maybe they still have a number. And ultimately, we need to not have a number. We need to not have a number. That no, no, no amount of money can buy my trust. I'm going to keep my trust in the Lord. But there is a deceitfulness of riches, isn't there? Where like, I feel like I am enough on my own. And it, it can affect our horizontal and vertical relationships. So uh, C is the desires for other things. He hit that as well. The desire for other things. We have such an image-driven culture. You know, having the right car, right fashions, and social media is all there to drive it home for you and give you FOMO. 
and fear of missing out. And, and you're like, I need that or I won't be happy. And, but you were happy before somebody told you you needed that. Completely happy. It's the issue of comparison. And, um, you know, if you would have been content if you didn't compare, but now you're not happy because somebody told you you need to have that thing or that car or that particular whatever it is, and you've embraced the thought that you can't be content, happy, or fulfilled until you have what you thought you needed to have, that's, that's what it's talking about here, the desire for other things. There's, there's a comparison that feeds discontent. That word desires is also lusts. It's just lust. It's just unchecked appetites for other things rather than giving myself to the love of God. All of that will choke the word. And of course, of, of course, of course, the, um, I can't speak this morning. Um, Still waking up. Number four, fertile ground. A fertile ground is really a, a free heart, a heart at peace, a heart and a posture of humility and gratitude. And in this place where it is completely at rest. It doesn't mean there's not seeking. It doesn't mean there's not pressing in. But it's, it's a completely free heart. It's not encumbered by, by the offenses Jesus mentioned it's not, it's not encumbered by the, the cares of this life. It's not encumbered by any of that. It's free. That's the condition God wants our heart to be in. And that brings us to the final point. I will keep the word and bear fruit with patience. I'll keep the word and bear fruit with patience. This word patience is really a key one. And it's, it's kind of what I want to actually encourage us with today. We saw first that God is responsible for his word. I'm responsible for the soil. Not that I'm dealing with the soil of my heart on my own. God, by his grace, is helping me do that by his spirit. But I'm a steward. And now I'm going to keep the word and bear fruit with patience. Luke 8.15 says this. The seeds that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it. And bear fruit with, everybody say it, patience. That word there is the Greek word hupo or hupimone. And it's a gritty, cheerful, joyful endurance. A triumphant endurance. A I will not quit kind of endurance. It's the characteristic of a, of a person not swerved from their purpose or their loyalty by even the greatest trials and sufferings. In James 1, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He actually says, that the original language talks about count it Joy, it's almost like it's an accounting thing. You need to just do all the math, give it to God, and count it joy when he's in the equation. Why? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. He's saying rejoice. Your faith is about to get in amazing shape. Like your faith is about to have a six-pack. Your faith is about to be able to run a marathon or an Ironman triathlon. Your faith is about to get in awesome shape because God wouldn't even be, 
wouldn't even allow these troubles in your life if you didn't purpose, for, purpose it for your good. You just got a gym membership for your faith, and it was free. <laughs> but you're going to go through this time, so count it joy. Patience, endurance. It's something that we each need to have growing and, and thriving and functioning in our lives. It, you know, one commentary talks about this hupomone, this, this patience, this endurance, as not simply the ability to bear things, like, okay, I'm just going to be able to put up with this. It's, it's that, but it's also something that turns those difficulties into greatness and into glory. It's what the early church martyrs did when they were singing and worshiping under an open heaven like Stephen, and his face is shining literally with God's glory while people are stoning him. That is hupomone, all the way to the end. It's a quality that makes a person able not just to simply go through suffering, but also to conquer through that hope, to conquer through that faith. And it's just a supernatural thing. It's an amazing thing. So sometimes we're like, hey, I had the seed planted. I went to bed and I woke up and there wasn't fruit on the tree. I want to know what this is. Why? why? Like I, I ran a hundred yards. Where's my crown? Like I, I did the, isn't that enough? I served God for a day. Where's, where's the harvest or a week or a month? I honestly have conversations with people, and I think it's a really common struggle for a new believer to wonder why they're still having struggles a few months or even a couple years into their walk with the Lord, and they had an expectation that everything would just be done, that they wouldn't have struggles anymore, they wouldn't face problems anymore, and they get a little bit disappointed and disillusioned, and you need to know something. You're in a process, and God is going to complete it, and you're going to have a great harvest, but it requires some good old-fashioned grit, some good old-fashioned kingdom endurance in our lives, some hupomone. It's, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. In James 5.11, it says, we count them blessed to endure. You've heard of the perseverance. The, the, that's the, the same word we're talking about here, perseverance of Job, the one who treasured God's word, and you saw the end intended by the Lord. The message says, you've heard of Job's staying power and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. Talked about the old prophets that put up with anything, went through everything and never once quit all the time honoring God. So I want to ask you to stand with me today. I want to ask our worship team to to come back up. If you haven't felt this already, there probably will be a time when you're tempted to do this. And that's something I'm talking about is quitting. When you reach the very end of all your strength and everything you've got left in the bank, and then you, and then you go beyond that, you might have that thought, should I just quit? I'm not even talking about quitting on your faith. Maybe it's quitting on your ministry, what God's called you to do. Quitting on on something that God's put in your life or possibly even your relationship with the Lord. And I want to just speak to that this morning and let you know 
that Jesus, Jesus has been tempted with all points like we are, yet without sin. And we have a high priest that right now wants to release strength into our lives. We have a high priest that wants to help us recondition the soil of our hearts so that we have the right kind of soil that's going to be very fruitful and bring us to a place where we have this Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. We have that kind of a moment. And we step into a new second wind in our walk with God of running and not growing tired, of walking and not fainting, of mounting up with wings like an eagle, as Isaiah 40, 31 says. I believe the Lord just has refreshing for you today and for us today. So I want to just invite you into a a time of response this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray first of all today that we would be a people that once again, treasure your word. Lord, that just our our value and our love for the Bible, Jesus, for the words that you've spoken, it would just grow so deeply, so exponentially in us. I pray today that each one of us would step into the revelation and the truth that we have authority to steward our hearts. So with that in mind today, as we've gone through these different soils and done a little bit of a soil analysis, Lord, we pray today that you would analyze the soil of our hearts, that you would highlight an area that's hardened or that's thorny or where we're carrying offense or where Lord, possibly we've even rejected your word from some wrong mindset or value system. And right now, as, as, the, as the Lord is just stirring that in us in this room, I want to encourage you just to invite him to come in and recondition that soil, to, to do some remediation on that soil of your heart, to give him that thorny place, to give him that hard place, to give him that offended place, to give him whatever that is, that stubborn place of your heart, and say, Lord, I, we, we, I, we want to be so fruitful for your glory, Lord. Or we don't want the anxieties, deceitfulness of riches, lust for other things to crowd out in any way, shape, or form your goodness, your presence, your love, your word. So we just take this moment to surrender those things to you, to cast our cares to you, to open up that stony place. Lord, thank you for your promise that you'll take out the heart of stone and you'll put in a soft heart that loves your commandments.